0: Hi, quick note before we start, this podcast is serialized, so if you're just joining in here, you should go back and start at Episode 1 of Season 2. Support for this week's episode of First Day Back comes from Bombas. Bombas offers premium, thoughtfully crafted socks that are super comfortable. Plus, for every pair of socks they sell, Bombas donates a pair to those in need. So see what a big difference this little article of clothing can make. Go to bombas.com slash first to get 20% off your first order. If you don't love your Bombas, you'll get your money back guaranteed. Thanks to Bombas for their support. Here's this week's episode. The night Lucy Paquette shot and killed her husband the Ontario Provincial Police took her into custody to interrogate her. There's a video of it. It's all in French. And in it, Lucy sits in a windowless room at a small white table, a detective directly in front of her. She's wearing a green, police-issued jumpsuit. She's barefoot. And she's barely keeping it together. The police officer asks Lucy question after question about what happened earlier that night. Sometimes he's gentle and other times more forceful, like good cop, bad cop, all in one person, for 90 straight minutes. It's a wicked endurance test.
1: Were you in debt?
0: Did he have an insurance policy? Was he cheating on you? Did he ruin your perfect marriage?
1: Yeah, ruiné votre vie parfaite, votre couple parfait.
0: The questions seemed to wash over Lucy. She sits silently with her head in her hands. Sometimes she sobs quietly to herself. It's not clear whether she's in shock or what's going on. Earlier, she had asked an officer if she could call Jerry to tell him to feed the cat. Jerry, I don't think I need to remind you cannot feed the cat. Then Lucy does something even stranger. She stands up from her chair, gets on all fours, and lies down on the floor with her back to the office. He tells her to get up, but she ignores him. She stays in the fetal position. Facing the wall for almost 30 minutes. Like if she just closes her eyes and goes to sleep, maybe she'll wake up and this'll all have been a nightmare. You the officer keeps at Lucy, telling her she's facing a first degree murder charge. Finally, Lucy says something. It's one of the few times she says anything in the video. It's hard to hear. She whispers. It wasn't a murder, it was an accident. Tali Epicasis, and this is First Day Back, a podcast about trying to get your life back after an event that changes you. This season we're following Lucy Paquette, who killed her common-law husband, Jerry Madere. Jerry was shot with a hunting rifle in the couple's home. The arriving officer found Jerry's body near the entrance of the house, seated at a computer, with the top part of his head blown almost completely off. A couple of feet away, he found Lucy clutching the house phone with the 911 operator on the other end. In the weeks and months that followed, investigators tried to figure out what happened inside the house that evening. I don't want to put Lucy on trial here, but to understand her story, you need to understand this part of her story. Throughout the police investigation and her detainment, even after she had been charged, Lucy's explanation never wavered. She stood by what she whispered to the detective that night. It was an accident. But Lucy has never been able to say more than that, like how the accident might have happened. Remember, she and Jerry had had about 18 beers between the two of them. She has no memory of killing him. And that made investigators suspicious.
2: Sometimes I say, I wish I would have lied and say, okay, I was, you know cleaning the gun or, you know, just to fill in the black. Oh, maybe I should have said that. So people would, you
0: know, they would have the full story. They wouldn't have this gap. Police and prosecutors and defense lawyers investigating this case, everyone had to ask themselves, could this really be an accident? The lawyer who agreed to help Lucy was Mark Wallace. Getting Mr. Wallace was a coup. He'd been legal counsel on some really high-profile Canadian cases and is very respected. And he looks just like the actor Ian McKellen, so picture wise and trustworthy, with a hint of wizard thrown in.
1: It's a very hard proposition to accept without knowing any other facts that someone could be sitting at their computer and in their home and get shot... And killed. On its own, that seems like a very, very difficult thing to to understand.
0: At least one person had worried that something like this could happen.
2: I don't know if my mom remembers, but I've had told her a couple of years back, at least two or three
0: times, that I thought it was a very bad idea for them to have guns in the house because they drank so much. That's Sandra, Lucy's daughter, from her previous marriage.
2: I had told her that uh, an accident could happen and, you know, you guys drink.
0: And she reassured me and told me that they were safe and that their guns were put away and everything was o- would be okay. While in custody, Lucy says she was suffering from depression. I was talking to the psychiatrist and I
2: said, um, I think that if I would be outside, I'd probably go walk on the ice since it was like, you know, wintertime, whatever. If I walk on ice and I fall through the ice, I'm gonna try my best to get out of the water. I went, fought nothing, and I would have been with Jerry. I didn't want to, like, kill myself, but I wanted to die.
0: Lucy was moved to the Royal Ottawa Hospital, where she stayed, alone with her thoughts, not eating and barely sleeping. She lost about 100 pounds while she was there. She was 43 when she was taken away, lively and youthful. When she came out of the hospital, she had some of the deep wrinkles of weight loss and looked years older deflated almost. She was also facing a first-degree murder charge. The Crown, as the prosecution is called in Canada, wanted to show that this was no accident, that Lucy intended to kill Jerry. Lucy's lawyer's main job was to address the question of intent. That's what distinguishes murder from the lower charge of manslaughter. In police interviews with Lucy's friends and family, all anyone said was that the couple had been very loving. Nobody had come up with any motive. No life insurance policy, no abuse, no secret lovers. Here's Mark Wallace again.
1: I had done a number of other murder cases, but not one where it was, in, in the final analysis, um, never fully understood. And that to that extent, it was unusual.
0: Very early on, Mark Wallace got the tape of Lucy's 911 call.
1: It was really gripping to listen to it. You couldn't contrive this level of uh, hysteria and mood swings. And it seemed that you were listening to somebody so genuine. You couldn't, in my opinion, you couldn't fake this.
0: The call became one of the most compelling pieces of evidence in Lucy's case— Just to remind you, Lucy needed to give me permission to hear the 911 tape. She gave me permission to listen to it, but not to use it. I can tell you it's mostly Lucy screaming in a way that could only be described as primal. A dispatcher asks Lucy over and over, what's wrong? Why did she call 911? Is there anyone else home? Lucy just screams and screams. And when you think she's done, she screams more. Sometimes she seems to calm down and take some deep breaths. She whispers to herself, Oh, what have I done? What have I done? She often sounds like a child with the dispatcher as the adult trying to calm her down. At one point, there's a change in tone and it's like a whole other phone call. Suddenly, when the dispatcher asks again if she's alone in the house, Lucy says, no, Jerry's home. Here's Neville Hunt, the newspaper reporter who is at Lucy's court appearance. He heard the 911 tape played in court during the preliminary hearing.
2: She was so confused about whether he was alive or dead, or if something had happened to him. She was calling for Jerry to come from the other room, uh, when, when he was dead by then. It it just seems almost like you know listening to the script of a movie. It's not. It's hardly believable as you're as you're hearing it.
0: The preliminary hearing, or the prelim, as it's often called is where a judge decides if there is enough evidence to move forward with a trial. Each side presented their version of what happened that night. The Crown story was that, yes, Lucy had drank beer, but in the words of Crown lawyer Kimberly Moore, she did not display signs of intoxication. We reached out to Kimberly Moore. She is a judge now, and she declined to be interviewed. The police officer who arrived on the scene said that Lucy definitely wasn't acting normally, his notes said that he thought she was in shock or had some kind of mental disability. He said he might have had a whiff of alcohol in the cruiser, but he couldn't be sure. Lucy couldn't believe her ears. She was sure she had been drunk. But she couldn't argue any differently. And I'm there. Was he
2: there? I can't say he wasn't there. I don't remember him. And they all look alike. So, And I don't remember the guy sitting in front of me, if he was there or not. I don't remember him. You know, like I couldn't
0: put a face on anybody. So I'm there. What's going on here? What was going on was that nobody had done a blood alcohol screening for Lucy that night, so they didn't have a number to go on. Mark Wallace had to paint a picture of how drunk she was, which he did painstakingly. He went through every moment of the evening, asking for descriptions of Lucy's behavior, how she had trouble getting up off the floor, how she stared blankly into space, how she couldn't put on her coat. Whenever her behavior seemed off, he tried to show that her drinking could have been the reason. Based on Jerry's postmortem analysis, we know that Lucy and Jerry had had between eight and ten beers each. That, combined with the interviews doctors did with Lucy, led them to conclude that her behavior was consistent with a functioning alcoholic. One last thing also helps explain her condition. Lucy was taking high blood pressure medication that was known to cause confusion when taken with alcohol. Mark Wallace felt that that, combined with everything else the defense was able to learn, made a clear case that Lucy wasn't faking it.
1: When you factor in that opinion with what appeared to be her state of mind at the time of the 911 call and at the time of her apprehension and at the at the time that she's being interviewed by the police... Uh, It it appeared, in, in my opinion at least, that it was a very legitimate claim as opposed to a memory of convenience.
0: Mark Wallace had addressed a key issue in Lucy's defense, but the Crown still had a few cards up its sleeve. More after the break. First Day Back is sponsored this week by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? If you want to find the perfect person, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to over 100 job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. ZipRecruiter has a resume database with over 9 million resumes. You can filter for location or specific experience, and then invite people to apply for your job. Find out why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app for both Android and iPhone. First Day Back listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com firstday first day. That's ZipRecruiter.com firstday first day. Thanks again to ZipRecruiter for sponsoring the show. This episode of First Day Back is also sponsored by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference. Blue Apron delivers delicious, quality food for less than $10 a meal. Blue Apron works with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the U.S. to support a more sustainable food system. Plus, with Blue Apron's freshness guarantee, you can be sure that every ingredient in your delivery will arrive ready to cook. I just saw the list of meals for April, and some of them sound really amazing. Spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salada. Sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot and ginger fried rice. Wow. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, with free shipping, by going to blueapron.com first. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. That's blueapron.com slash first. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Thanks to Blue Apron for supporting First Day Back. At Lucy's preliminary hearing, the Crown's next line of attack focused on Lucy's experience with guns. And it looked bad. Here's Yves Jumetville, Lucy's other lawyer.
1: Lucy was a, a sharpshooter, really. When it, Literally, when it comes to guns, she, has a, she had a really good aim, and she was known in the
0: hunting community. Lucy's former neighbors, Don and Louise Mitchell, also mentioned this to me. The crowd's point was that if she was a known marksman, what were the odds that she shot him, accidentally, in the exact right spot?
1: Our answer to that was, it's as good of a odd as hitting any other spot in that room on that day.
0: It's just basically the worst luck in the world.
1: Well, that's, that's, that's our position. Now, some obviously the crown was skeptical towards that, that she was that bad lucky. And you have to understand it didn't hit him on, on like uh, just mid the head, it was in like center side of the head, just above the ear, too. So uh, that was troubling to the crown. Basically, she would have been able to do that if she wanted to is what they were getting at.
0: Lucy had been shooting guns for years. She wasn't just some novice handling a gun for the first time. The Crown presented a weapons expert who explained how Lucy would have been trained in safe firearms use, learning all the procedures to follow to prevent any kind of accident. But maybe even worse for Lucy was what the expert claimed about the gun itself, a Winchester 94. Mark Wallace.
1: It was a type of gun that you see on television in the that cowboys use—the long rifle that you have a lever that you pull down and you pull up and you pull a trigger.
0: The expert said that it wasn't possible for the gun to discharge accidentally because of a safety feature called a trigger stop. Here's Lucy.
2: And he kept on saying, "It's a safety." Yes, this is a safety. Yes, this is a safety. And I was embarrassed because I had just told my lawyer that there was no safety on my gun.
0: Lucy's defense rested on the idea that she had never pulled the trigger intentionally. The gun had somehow gone off accidentally. But if the gun had a safety, wouldn't that be impossible?
1: It was very important that we establish that the firearm could be accidentally discharged. And what was Equally valuable to us was we were able to do this through the mouth of the Crown witness.
0: Let me explain. Mark Wallace had reviewed the manual for the Winchester rifle and had found a key passage. He read it aloud to the courtroom, then again for me in our interview.
1: The trigger stop is not a safety. Do not rely on the trigger stop to prevent accidental discharge.
0: He asked the expert if he agreed. It was almost like a trap. How could the expert disagree with the manual?
1: 10.30 in the morning, the expert is saying the gun can't be accidentally discharged, and by 11.30 in the morning, he's saying, yes, it can. not
0: If this had been law and order, the audience would have started buzzing, and the judge would have had to slam his gavel for silence. That's how dramatic it felt to Lucy. I was like, whoa. You know, what that little thing was, and it
2: wasn't the safety. It's like, oh. I was happy I had that lawyer because some question you ask, you know, you don't think about asking those questions. Mark Wallace.
1: Once I had that agreement, I knew that going forward, the door to accidental discharge was not shut.
0: When you put together the lack of motive, the drinking, the meds, Lucy's confused 911 call, and the fact that the gun wasn't foolproof, it certainly didn't look like an intentional murder. The prelim had been draining for Lucy. Hearing the 911 tape was especially rough. She had to listen to herself screaming after killing her husband in front of all these people gathered in the courtroom. The day the call was to be presented as evidence, she asked her family not to come. My family
2: never heard it. I was embarrassed. I was like, I'm just trying to say embarrasses embarrass the right word I'm looking for I didn't feel comfortable having my parents there it's like oh my God look what I did you know
0: I wonder if the word you mean more is like you're ashamed
2: yeah ashamed yeah walking your head that, you know you want to hide yourself and don't look at me and don't listen to what happened and don't listen to what they say or don't you know Yeah, shame.
0: The lawyer, I think, said that he thought you were blocking your ears.
2: I didn't want to hear it. It was too hard. She sounds so desperate. I just want to help her. Who's
0: her? Me. The person you're listening to. Yeah. In the end, after two years in custody, Lucy made a decision.
2: I was so exhausted, physically, mentally exhausted. I was going to go to trial, but I didn't. I just took a deal
0: because I couldn't go through this anymore. Lucy may not have been guilty of first-degree murder, but she still committed a serious crime the two sides agreed to a plea deal of manslaughter. At the sentencing, the judge accepted the lawyer's recommended seven-year sentence. Here's Mark Wallace.
1: As a matter of law, if this had gone to trial, there was no possibility that she was going to be found not guilty. Because it wasn't a suicide, and there was absolutely no evidence that the house was broken into, and somebody else did this. Therefore, the best possible outcome for her at a trial would have been manslaughter. So the, the plea to manslaughter would have been equivalent to having a trial and winning, because she couldn't do better than that.
0: It didn't feel like winning to Lucy. Yes, at the end of the day, she got a legal victory. The court essentially said, we believe you, it was an accident. But it was still an accident that she was responsible for. The plea could never be an emotional victory. Six years later, I wanted to know. With the hearing behind her and now out of prison, was there ever a moment when Lucy caught herself wondering if she ever wavered about what might or might not have happened that night? If you don't remember, how do you know inside of yourself? Do you doubt yourself ever? No, I know it was an accident.
2: Just the way we were, the way way he would treat me, you know, because of the the feeling we had for each other, the um, the love we had for each other, the respect we have for each other, I have no doubt it was an accident.
0: next time on First Day Back. When I
2: opened the lock and I went into the cage, I saw all these rifles. So many memories that came back to me and seeing those guns, I was so uncomfortable and I started crying, you know, I didn't want to sob. Uh, Right now, it's like I'm in, it's like I'm in the middle of a big, big circle. I don't go anywhere. It's like I'm stand stand still, you know, and I don't know where to go. When I was inside, maybe I thought coming out would have been the way it used to be. But when I came out, uh, reality hit and Jerry wasn't there. And um, I find it was really hard.
0: First Day Back is produced by Mark George and me, Tally Abikasas. The show was scored and mixed by David Herman. Our executive producer is Dave Shaw. Special thanks to Bird Pinkerton, Rob McGinley Myers, and Ellen Weiss. Season two of First Day Back is produced in collaboration with EW Scripts and Stitcher. You can find First Day Back on all the great podcast apps, including Stitcher. If you listen to it on iTunes, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It helps other people find First Day Back. For more information, visit our website at firstdaybackpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks again to Bombas for supporting this week's episode of First Day Back. Bombas offers premium, thoughtfully crafted socks that are super comfortable. Plus, for every pair of socks they sell, Bombas donates a pair to those in need. I am wearing my Bombas right now, and they are super comfortable. So see what a big difference this little article of clothing can make. Go to Bombas.com slash first to get 20% off your first order. If you don't love your Bombas, you'll get your money back, guaranteed. Stitcher.